Hello, good people. If you're tired of a world of fake news, fake personalities, and fake images, you're tuned into the right place. This is Sean Barksdale, and this is 10 Minutes of Truth. Hello, everybody. We have very important news on voter rights restoration with 10 Minutes of Truth for Sean A. Barksdale. Thank you. If you'd like to become a sponsor or advertise on 10 Minutes of Truth Podcast, contact me, Sean Barksdale. You can reach me at 434-446-6633 or shoot me a text. Or you can reach us at 10minutesoftruth.com. And remember, we'll always provide a platform for your truth on the 10 Minutes of Truth Podcast. What's your truth? As you know, over the last few episodes, we have interviewed my beautiful mother, Darlene Davis, and my uh eloquent speaking father as you <laughs> as you know uh charlie calvin barksdale uh but this episode is going to be different forget about what somebody else think about you what do you think about you your past don't define you hello ladies and gentlemen this is sean a barksdale and this is 10 minutes of truth today this episode is not only very special to me but it's special to the community we have two esteemed lawyers from my hometown of Halifax County, Virginia. We first have uh, Mr. Mike Trent and his candid wife, Blair Trent. How you guys doing? I'm good, Sean. How you doing? I'm great. I'm, I am excellent. We're you good. good? Yeah, I'm good, Sean. That's what's up, man. Um, today, uh, we're going to have a profound conversation on the restoration of rights. Okay, but first, before we start, I really want people to know why we're in this room, first and foremost, with you guys. So uh, starting with you, Mike, can you please tell the people uh, your background in law, how long you've been doing this? Just a little bit about your passion for it. Sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, it's great to be here. I'm glad to have you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm from I'm from this area. I grew up in Charlotte County. And. You know, I went off to law school. I went to law school in Boston, and I always kind of wanted to come back here. This is, I think, since I was a kid, I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, and I, and I saw it through. Uh, I started as a public defender. I did it for four years, and that that was that was not only great, you know, edu very educational from like a learning to be a good lawyer standpoint, but quite frankly, it you, you learn about the people in the community, you learn, you know, why people need representation, you you learn what's really important. And uh, you, you learn how to deal with people on their worst days, which is something you have to remember as an attorney. Most of the time you're seeing somebody, it's their worst day. Uh, as far as my passion goes, I just, you know, I love this community. It, it's my home. Um, I'm, been, I'm, I'm blessed that Blair, who isn't from this community, wanted to make a life here with me, and we have a family here. So it's just really important to me. So we try to, um, at the Trent Law Practice, we try to, you know, treat people right. We try to be honest with them. We try to shoot straight with them, and we try to do a good job. So th that, that, that's my short version of it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you, Blair. Well, I, as he said, am not from Halifax County. I am from Tidewater, so okay. Portsmouth, Suffolk. And I actually started out as a prosecutor, and it was, I, I really liked my job. Don't okay. get me wrong. It was a good job. I moved out here because I wasn't going to grow in the Portsmouth office where mm. I was. And out here, I was prosecutor in a very small office and then me and my old boss we just butted heads I left and I actually started this law practice and it used to be called the legal boutique mm. and then when my husband and I got married this building is actually our wedding we didn't have an actual traditional wedding we <laughs> bought right. this building instead with the money right. for our wedding and this room used to be the conference room for Judge Watson and Judge Morrison 
Um, it's always been a law practice. Every lawyer who used to be in here is now a judge. So this is this this building is great. Mm. And I became a private attorney, like I said, started the practice. And then recently the public defender's office got very short staffed. And Mike used to work in the public defender's office. And I was getting real burned out from being a private attorney and doing all the business stuff um, and doing a lot of family law, mm. which will get you every time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I went and started working at the public defender's office. Okay. And I have a real, I have, I have loved that job. I absolutely adore it. So um, when I started listening to your podcast, I realized what a great platform it was and we wanted to advertise. And the one thing I wanted to talk to people about was restoration of rights. Mm. Because even back when I was a prosecutor in Portsmouth, that was something that was taught to me to be really important to try to give back to people once they had served their time. You need to absolutely get people to understand that once the court system has given the punishment and you've gone through it and done it, you should get everything back. You've served your punishment. There's no reason in the world for you to continue to be disenfranchised. So it's really important that over the last 10 years or so, the Commonwealth of Virginia has made it easier for people to start getting their rights back, particularly their civil rights not so much the gun rights but it is really important to do that because of the consequences and that's what i wanted to advertise with you guys and let me add sean if it's okay um even when blair was in the prosecutor's office here she actually organized uh putting on a restoration rights clinic uh Mm. we were dating that thing but we we weren't engaged or married yet and uh it was really cool because you know they got a little pushback but in fairness the people i think in her office generally supported her but she did it um i think there's a state trooper there and and this is back before we had the the pseudo automatic restoration of civil rights. It's back when you had to fill out forms, and depending on what type of conviction you had, you had to wait three years or five years or whatever it was before you could even get your civil rights back. That's before even having a conversation about guns. Mm. Um, so we did it in the old district courtroom before the renovation, and we had a really good turnout. It was a really nice turnout, and it's it's something largely because of Blair's passion, but I certainly I, you know it's it's very 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 important, and I. And I probably have a, a bigger passion almost for the, the gun end because I see the consequences of that when you don't do it. Uh, but that's a reason from really the get-go, you know, it's not a, you know, we do a lot of other things in our practice, but that's a special thing we do to try to, you know, try to help people. We try to be very reasonable with them when we do it. Beautiful, man. Um, once again, thank you guys for just taking the time out with Tim as the truth and taking it out with me. Uh, like I said, this is very special uh, for the platform. So let's start first with... Uh, the right to vote, right? Our governor has uh, restored rights at a unprecedented fashion, and it's it's great. Um, can y'all just touch, just starting off with that? Like, why did he do it like that? Well, like to get you know, if I can jump in, um, Virginia, we actually have it in our constitution okay. that you lose your civil rights when you get convicted of a felony. Right. And there's no, at least as of right now, there's no, in, unless it's just changed, but but when Governor McAuliffe the one that did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say you need to back up a little bit. Governor McDonnell actually made it a lot easier. Governor okay. McDonnell was the first one that changed it. Before him, it was really hard. It didn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. They didn't really restore civil rights very often. You had mm. to go through a big process. McDonnell... Right. McDonald made it so that if you applied and you were eligible, it was basically automatic. Okay. So you did still have to go through the process of filling out your application, and I think that's when Blair did her um, did her 
her thing to help the community basically hey this is what you need to fill out send it the governor will restore your rights so he took that step governor mcauliffe took it another step and what he did was he basically did an automatic clemency for people after they had done what they needed to do that way they didn't even have to do the application process the reason it's so important is because under virginia law you have to get a, you, you technically have to get clemency to get your civil rights back because under the constitution you lose them. Mm. So the only way you can get them back is if the governor with his executive power gives you a form of clemency. So, you know, when you hear the media talking about pardons and stuff like that on the television, okay. technically everybody that's gotten their civil rights has gotten a form of that, not a pardon per se, but a clemency, which is a lesser version. Um, and Governor Northam's more or less continued what Governor McAuliffe did. So that's beautiful. That's the, that's the change. Okay. Okay, so now it's just automatic. Is that is that automatic now? I mean, it's automatic in the sense that the current governor's doing it automatically. Okay, but um, under current laws, I understand unless it just changed, and Blair may know better than I do, but unless there's been a change, if you had a change in administration, it wouldn't be automatic anymore. Okay. so it's automatic because we, you know, we've had two governors in a row that have said we're going to make it automatic. Okay, so your your vote for governor matters, and that's an important question to ask. A- absolutely. So. Uh, moving in just that light, what when an individual rights are restored, right? Mm-hmm. We know one of the major things is the right to vote, mm-hmm. right? What are some of the other things that you get back? So, and you'll appreciate this, the right to sit on a jury is probably the next most important right that okay. you get if in the what are called the civil rights. Okay. They get restored. You also can serve as a notary public once you've had your civil rights restored. You can run for public office, which is also really important if for no other reason mcdonald even though he's a republican governor the reason he cared so much about restoration of rights is when he was an attorney he had a client come in and ask him hey can you help me get my rights restored and he was like sure i'll sit down i have this new area of law let me figure it out right it was so difficult at Mm. the time for him to do it that he said if i'm ever governor i'm going to fix this for people and right at the end of his term before he uh had his little troubles and and left office um he made sure that he snuck that in right at the end wow. that the, that he changed it he couldn't do anything about the violent crimes at that time because the legislature was still so conservative but he made it so that if you didn't have what was considered a violent crime it was a automatic you just fill out one sheet of form whereas before it had been like a five-page form and the the violent rights one it was like a 13-page form it was mm. awful and it wasn't automatic even if you did that right, right. You, they still had to go through the approval process he made it to a one-page form. He put it on the internet under the Secretary of the Commonwealth's website. Bing, bam, boom. Social security number, last name, where you got the felony conviction, send it off. Automatic, and the Secretary of the Commonwealth is going to fix it. Hmm. And Mike's right. we got to keep up with the legislature. But that's why it's important to get your rights restored is hmm. so that you can vote, so that you can make sure the legislature knows what it is that you want to hear because they're supposed to be up there representing you. So if you want to get your rights back for voting, it's it's really important to go ahead and apply now. And then that sets the tone for who is going to be making these decisions later on. And now I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. The right to sit on a jury. <laughs> the reason you're going to find that interesting is if you have a crime that you have been um, charged with and you're going before supposedly a jury of your peers okay. until recently they did all of that through voting so it was less likely hmm. so the people who get pulled and actually I said until recently I think they uh, still do that's it that's how they do it yeah they pull voting records and that's how well, they, voting rolls you, voting don't, you rolls. don't have to have actually voted you have to be registered okay so register to vote and that's the person that's the pool of people that the clerk's office pulls from so you you get selected to possibly sit on a jury based on whether or not you can vote. Hmm. 
So mm-hmm. in, until recently, that was mostly white people, mostly mm. white men. Mm. Um, so in, in the last 50 years, that's really changed. And in the last five years in Virginia, it's changed even more. Because if you have somebody who is looking more like you when you are sitting in the defendant's chair of a jury and you're looking at people who look more like you, they're more likely to identify with you. They're mm. more likely to be more empathetic with you Absolutely. when they're sitting there and they're having to decide whether or not, beyond a reasonable doubt, you committed a crime. Mm. Hi, my name is Mike Trent. I'm at the Trent Law Practice here in Halifax, Virginia. I'm a son of Southside, Virginia. Uh, that's the reason I came back here after law school, because I want to represent my friends and neighbors uh, in the courts of Halifax County and the surrounding areas. We take it really personally that that we deal with regular people and we want to help regular people with what are sometimes very difficult challenges. Our focus is on litigation. We do criminal defense. We do family law. We do quite a bit of personal injury. Uh, we, we also help in other areas. So if you have questions, please feel free to give us a call, sh- shoot me an email, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, website. That should be on your screen. Um, thank you for your time and I thank you for uh, watching or listening to this today. With voting, mm-hmm. if a guy that came look like me that has a felony, had you know, that had this on their record, and they said, well, there's no need for me to get my rights. I'm not going to vote anyway. Um, just talk about <clears throat> the importance, especially at a local level, mm-hmm. more than just a national level. How, how important is that right, the right just to have that back, man? Well, I mean, you know, some of it's personal. Some of it's, you know, this is what it means to be a citizen. This is what mm. it means to be this is your home and, right. and you have some stake in it. Um, you know, I would quibble with anybody that told me it's just not important to vote. I mean, I understand that if you're talking about on a state or a national level, you're you're talking about millions of votes, and I get that, and, and we can all point to the Florida recount or Georgia right. this past year. I mean, right. these were very close margins, but um, take a local level, though. I mean, I'm on the town council for the town of Halifax, and, and I'm one, I represent the whole town as a whole, but we have wards. And, you know, there's seats on our town council that – you know, if you can get 100 votes, you can win. Mm. Um, it depends when the election's held and what else right. on the ballot. Uh, same thing in South Boston, by the way. It's a bigger deal in South Boston because unless they've changed it, they have their elections in May. Uh, May elections are notoriously low turnout elections. You're talking about the people that are getting elected for, for in May elections might be getting dozens of votes. And the difference between candidates might be single, like within the single numbers. These are really close elections. And they matter a lot to your life. I mean, I know they're not on CNN or MSNBC or Fox right. News, but these are the people that are setting your tax rates. These right. are the people that are deciding how the police are going to behave. Right. These are the people that are deciding if, you're, if, you're, if your streets get cleaned. So, I mean, these are actually really important issues. I, I so I, I would suggest, particularly if you look on a local level, it's a big deal to vote. Um, but, I mean, whether you're going to vote or not, you want to be a full citizen. Right. So that, that's what I'd say. Right. That's great. And that's why I asked that question. Well, you had something you want to add? Yes. I was going to say, you also, in order to get your gun rights restored, you have to get your civil rights restored first. Right. Mm. So in order to get the first step to being eligible to have your gun rights restored is to have those civil rights restored. Okay. So you've got to go through the... Now, it's really easy. We could do it on that iPad right there. You just go to the Secretary of the Commonwealth's website, you fill in your name right. and what biographical information is and the county where you got the felony and submit it off and they'll send you something in the mail that says your civil rights are restored. On that same piece of paper, it's going to say in big, bold letters, your gun rights have not been restored yet. Yes, so, I, I got that. Yeah. I, um, and this is why I asked that question, because I want all of you guys to understand uh, in our community why this conversation is 
detrimental and why it's so important. Last year, I, I turned 45, I think, <laughs> this year. And last year was my f the first time that I voted, and my daughter turned 18, and we voted together. That's cool. It was, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was outstanding for me. That was such an accomplishment. It was such a goal. And like you said, you know, it had on there, you know, you, your gun rights are not restored, but to just get that gold seal and guys mm -hmm. and women that I know that have come from that environment and now we're calling like you get your gold seal. You know, you get your yeah. gold seal. Like <laughs> you know, that. so it's just it's really cool, man. Yeah. So segueing into uh gun rights. This is a very intricate conversation that it's so much that I want to know. So what are the measures? We've gotten our civil rights back. Mm -hmm. So now moving forward, what are the steps that you have to take to get your gun rights restored? Now, getting your gun rights restored is more involved still than getting your civil rights restored. Mm -hmm. uh, but quite frankly, the changes in the civil rights restoration helps with the gun rights because you always had to do that first. Mm. You never could do it all together anyway. Okay. The, the, the governor restores your civil rights. In order to get your gun rights back, you need to go to the circuit court mm. and you need to file a petition for your gun rights. People do do it by themselves. Um, a lot of people have trouble doing it by themselves. Uh, you know, it's forms and, and you know, sometimes the commonwealth, the commonwealth attorney is the one that reviews it on the other side and they do sometimes just sign off on it. I mean, if your extent of your criminal record is, you know, one enhanced petty larceny from 20, 25 years ago and, you know, no issues with violence, no nothing, they very well may just sign off on it. But, you know, I've had a number of them where... You know, I thought they might just sign off on them, but because the person that had a misdemeanor trespassing three years ago or something like that, right. you know, they're they're worried they're worried for being blamed if something goes wrong. Right. Quite frankly, you know, I generally tell people, you know, if you don't need, if there's not a lawyer on the other side arguing against you, you're probably okay doing it yourself. Right. But you probably need somebody representing you in there if uh, if they're not going to just agree. And of course, you don't know that until you file it. Uh, so what we do is we file a petition. Okay. Uh, the prosecutors sometimes just sign off on that petition, and that's awesome. And then we get it done, and, and it's it's over. Other times we have to schedule a court hearing, and that's where we go before a judge. There's not a whole lot of guidance in Virginia law for what that circuit court judge is supposed to look for. Hmm. Um, I'll tell you in my experience, the things that they're interested in. They want to know why you want your gun rights back. Uh, they obviously are interested in what your record is, how recent your record is, uh, if there's any issues with violence or mental health or anything. Those are all important for them. If, if you've had mental health issues, they're probably going to want to hear from a doctor or something. Hmm. Um, those, quite frankly, are the ones that are the most complicated because, you know, they're for good reasons, everybody's very you know hesitant um, when when your rights have been taken for mental health reasons. They just want to make sure you're you're in a good place now. Right. Um, and we go and we have our hearing, and the judge makes a decision. Okay, um, and that's a lot of information to process. Sorry, that we did. no, no, no. It's great information. Though. It's, 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 it really is. Um, but one of the main takeaways that I want to you know speak to that is that you said they want to know why. Um, the last time we had a conversation. You know, we kind of joked about you said most people say, oh, I want to hunt. Right. You know, I want to I want to you know, I want to hunt. But it was something that you said, if you could repeat that, you know, just about, um, you know, just having the right. So I think it's actually more important. The thing, the story that you told about you going down to Atlanta right. and being in a car right. transporting things with other people who do have the right to carry a firearm right. and you being in close proximity to them for your job and not knowing what's going on. Right. If you live in the home with somebody right. who has their rights restored or has never got a felony, then 
you you have very different constraints on your person and your freedom than that person does and getting your rights restored will protect you from other people's actions there's a lot of things that i can tell my clients that they are in control of but you cannot control what other people do and a lot of times that's what we see when someone gets charged with possession of a firearm after being convicted of a felony is that somebody else had something done or they were doing something and they didn't realize i didn't know my granddad still had this firearm in the house or i i thought my wife had already gotten everything restored i made a mistake and in virginia a mistake of law does not cover it so what i think the best reason i've heard lately has been is i want to get them back so i don't get into trouble around somebody else i want to have my rights restored so that i can just have them restored I want to be back to being a full person, and I don't want to risk getting in trouble like this ever again. And uh, let me add there, uh, I actually recently had, I think it's the most recent one I did, I recently had a, a matter where the, the, we were asking for the rights to be restored, and, and the gentleman, he, he actually wasn't itching to get a gun. The issue was he was engaged to be married, and his fiance had a concealed carry permit. She mm. she never had any criminal issues. She never had anything, and she had a concealed carry permit. And he was worried to death about living in a house with uh, with his fiance with guns. That he, and usually he wouldn't know where they were, which is kind of what you need to have the situation as. Uh, but he was worried that if the police came in, they'd find a gun and they would they would say he was in possession of it. Now, I'm gonna give a very brief thing on this, Sean, if it's okay. Go ahead. Um, when you hear possession, you think it means you're holding it or it's on you. But we have something called constructive possession. That means that you're basically exercising dominion and control over something. So the way I actually – I'm possessing my pen right now. I'm still legally in possession of my pen even though I'm not holding it. But you know what? They're both in possession of my pen too because hmm. any of us can reach out and grab it. If that pen's a gun and it's sitting right there and the cops come in and one of us is a felon, we're going to get charged. It's just hmm. going to happen. Um and you know, the, I even had the judge said to me. He said, "This is literally the best reason I've ever heard for somebody to want their rights back. Hmm. He just wants to protect himself, and and his fiance has no reason not to have her rights. She has a concealed carry for crying out loud." Um, you know, I think I told you last time we talked. I had a case one time where a guy was just—I uh, think he was sleeping on his dad's couch right. because uh, you know something, had some trouble at home or whatever. And he ended up—he called the police for a legit reason. I, it's been—it's been a couple of years, but I, I don't know if somebody, one of the neighbors, was like doing something really bad or whatever. But he called the police, and so the police respond. Well, they see a shotgun sitting in the corner of the house as they walk in. My, it's not my guy's shotgun. Nobody claims it's my guy's shotgun. He never touched it. He gets charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. I mean, he could have gone and got it, and I think he knew it was there, but, I mean, it wasn't his. It wasn't his house. Like, how would you feel if you got to sleep on somebody's couch right. and you're going to sit there and tell them, no, you got to put your guns up? Right. I mean, you know, these are awkward conversations. Right. Um, and thankfully, the judge dismissed that one, right. but, but quite frankly, the judge dismissed it because probably not because he was supposed to because he technically was in constructive possession. The judge dismissed it because he was irritated they brought it in the first place and he right. saw the kind of the more justice end of it. Um, but don't bank on that. Right. So. Right. And and, and, and thank you guys for uh, explaining that because honestly, like Blair was saying, because of my job and me moving around, that's one of the reasons that I want the rights. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Back themselves because I have, I've been home five years. I have cousins i have uncles that you know they legally can keep i can't ride with them mm -mm. i can't right. you know i yeah. can't you know i haven't rode them the whole five years i've been here yeah. so you know the and and 
you know, I just want people to know. So before we go back into, you know, the restoration of rights, because a lot of people I remember uh, when I talked to you guys the last time, it's an automatic five years. Right? Okay. It, is it automatic I'll five years? If there's a fight, it's an automatic five years, mandatory. Mandatory. If you have a prior violent felony. Okay. And now here's the thing: violent felonies are not what you and I would think. Make sure of you tell y'all, you guys, listen. Violent felonies are also B&E's. B&E's, breaking and entering or burglary. Violent felonies can also be certain sex crimes, even if no one was hurt. Mm. It can be certain child porn possession crimes anything basically that the legislature thinks is really important they're gonna go ahead and just stick a stamp on it and call it a violent felony and you're gonna end up with a mandatory five years and now here's the other thing if you have a non-violent felony but you got it within the last two to ten years or ten, zero, just last just ten years, last 10 years yeah. you get a mandatory two Mm. Mandatory two years. There's wow. no discretion from the judges. There's no discretion from the And he the can't jury. do anything about and that. And there is nothing no. you can do anything about it. If it gets to the it. judge, the judge has to give you the sentence. And let me add just a couple of more to that list because I think it is an important list to know. It is. Um, if you've gotten that, say, nonviolent possession of a felony, that is a violent felony. So if you get the two years, or even if it's been more than 10 years, right. and so you know, there, if it's been yeah. more than 10 years and it's nonviolent, like grand larceny or whatever, it's not mandatory time. But that itself is a mandatory is a, is a is considered a violent felon. Um, so at that point, if you get found with a gun again, it's mandatory five. But here's the craziest one: if you get convicted of bringing marijuana into a jail or a prison, yes, that is a violent felony. Wow. I don't even know a prosecutor think that makes sense, but it is. It's on the list. Mm-hmm. I, I well, I think from my standpoint, I, I didn't know that, but. The reason I I would say they would even consider that is once it enters into the prison or enters the jail, Mm -hmm. because it's a close proximity, what could happen with people on it? Right. You know what I'm saying? So even though it's crazy, it sounds crazy. I kind of understand why, you know what I'm saying? They would say that because I've seen some, you know, very strange things. (laughs) Well, you know, the reason the reason it's odd, I think, from my point of view, is even even distribution of cocaine heroin. Right. Isn't what? No, they're not considered violent crimes. So if you if if you had a if you had a distribution right of heroin eleven years ago, no mandatory time. Right, right. If you had a, I'm going to be a little ridiculous here. Okay. If you had a B and E of a you know store, you know, but it's a B and E. Right. Thirty years ago, mandatory five. Because that's forever. It's in the last 10 years, if it's nonviolent, is the mandatory two. If it's the violent, it's technically forever. And I'll be, I'll be real with you because I'm not trying to like you know right. do red herrings. In my experience, usually if you haven't had a bad record in decades, prosecutors are going to be reasonable with you. But, but what does reasonable mean? It might still mean they say, okay, well, we're going to be nice, so do one year instead of five. Well, as a defense attorney, my job in those cases, if their case is strong, obviously we always look at that, but if their case is strong, my job is to literally beg the prosecutor and work on them until they get to the best place we can get right. because we have no leverage. Mm-hmm. Because if they take you to a judge or a jury and you're convicted, the judge has to give you five years. They have no choice. If the judge said, no, I'm not going to do it, you know, I think this is stupid, the Commonwealth's attorney could appeal that and it will get overturned and you'll get the five years. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. that And thank you guys so much for that. Uh, because this is the type of information that we need to know in our communities that we just don't know mm-hmm. a lot of times. Uh, moving back to restoration, and 
on 10 Minutes of Truth, we always, well, of course, we tell the truth, but we, it's, sometimes it just has to be blunt, mm-hmm. right? So an individual like myself, um, I have an armed robbery mm-hmm. with a gun, okay? I have come home, and I have, not to toot my own horn, but I've excelled more than the average person may have. Sure. Okay. No, you absolutely have. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, so with that said, still, because what do you need? We're talking about the things that we need to go in there and file and things of that nature. How hard is it still with a person that has done what I've done for me to get that right back? So uh, I would say in your instance, it's going to be pretty hard. Right. Um, their prosecutors are going to look at whether or not you involved a gun in your prior crime and in your case you did they're going to look at whether or not it was a violent crime and robbery is a violent crime so they're going to be looking at those two things they're going to see how long your sentence was and judge the facts of the case even though they have access to that information probably um, they're going to judge the facts of the case based on how much time you had to serve they're going to look at how much time you have been out and whether or not you successfully completed probation. They're going to look at whether or not you've had any other issues, any trespassing charges, a possession of marijuana. They're going to look at any of those things. And quite frankly, most prosecutors are going to say, if you've done anything wrong, that's it. No, they're not going to trust you. And unfortunately, in your case, because of the gun being involved, because it's a robbery, which carries a potential life sentence, right. they're going to be even more strict. Now, you're going to have good things that are working towards getting those rights restored, like your job, like needing to travel for your job, needing to be around other people who should be carrying weapons, like right. security, security officials right. and right. police. You right. are going to be working with those individuals. Um, you're also going to have consistent job history to be able to demonstrate to them, successful completion of probation. You're going to have, I think you have very little criminal history other than that just armed robbery, right? Okay. Well, they're gonna let's put it this way. They're gonna look at your whole let's put it this way. They're gonna look at your whole criminal history right. and they're gonna right. examine everything there right. and they're gonna see whether or not and what they're gonna be saying is we wanna evaluate whether or not you're gonna be a right. danger to the community with the gun. Right. Um not too long ago you could start off by getting your long gun rights back, but they've stopped doing that. Hmm. Um, so now it's just... I'm not sure they were ever supposed to do that. I think they just did it. I'm yeah. walking around with a, t- <laughs> I a were... turkey musket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, a long gun means shotgun, rifle, but and, no handgun. Right. And they no thought handguns. that that was more reasonable to do for hunting purposes. Okay, right. Because right. hunting for okay. the longest time has been the right. most reasonable right. thing um, that people can put We're very pro hunters. Don't let her tone right. trick you. Right, right. It's very good. Um, <laughs> right. I'm not saying right. we're not right. pro hunters. No, but I'm, I, I mean, th- I'm, I'm so glad. No, uh, and I want you guys to finish because I want to go into nonviolent, how, you know, uh, in, in just a second, but 
uh, guys are gonna guys and women they're gonna come after they mm-hmm. see this. A lot of people. That's why we have to you know ask these questions and go into yeah. what what it is that we need to do because so many people don't know. Yeah. So many people you know such as myself and other felons. You know you hear through the grapevine. Well, you can do this. You can't do this. You know so on and so forth. And it just be wrong information right. that we sure. get. You know so well, that's not just you. That's everybody. That's everybody. Yeah. Right. So and part of that is people not trusting their lawyers. Right. And, and not believing right. when an attorney tells them something because mm. in the past their lawyers have not done a good job of right. explaining sure. what the consequences are. Because right. we sometimes forget right. that other people don't know, that lay people do not know all the things that we know. Mm. Um, so when we are telling people, yes, this is a felony, but you're not going to get any time, you think you're done, and then come to find out, no, you can't be around a gun, mm. you can't ever vote. You can't sit on a jury. You can't ever hold public office. All of those things, a lot of lawyers don't go into that, okay. and they're supposed to. Right. Let me. I want to back up for a second if I can. Okay. I'm gonna do a real short version of this, but if I was sitting down doing a consult with you with, okay. with just a little bit, I've heard. Right. What I would tell you is, I don't think it's impossible right now. Right. I think it's a real uphill battle. Um, I actually maybe disagree with Blair a little bit. I don't think the prosecutors, based on your record, are even really going to look at it. I think they're going to be like, we always have to pose it because of the record. Um, So I'm not even really – I mean, I'd send it to the prosecutors, but I don't expect a positive answer. Uh, My goal when I talk to the prosecutors and that is that they don't go into court and, like, really set their hair on fire. You know, there's there's opposing it because they want to be able to say, hey, we oppose it if something bad happens. And then there's going and setting your hair on fire and basically acting like this is the worst idea ever judged. Judges know the difference. They can hear the difference. Right. Um, you know, to be frank, if you'd been out for a year or two, I, I would probably tell you to save your money. Right. Um, I'm. I mean, I try to. I, I charge a lot less in effect for this sort of stuff than I do for other things, but I still have to charge for it. So I'm really big. If I don't think I can help you, I'm right. just gonna tell you to keep your money. Um, I might tell you to come back in two years. Okay. Um, but at five years, if you've been out doing what you're supposed to for five years and you've got like a legit bona fide reason, what I'd probably tell you is, Sean. Um, we might be underdogs, meaning like it might be less than 50-50, but I think there's a realistic chance. Right. And I do think there is. Right. Um, you know, it's it depends on your judge. It depends, right. And to the folks out there, I mean, you know, we practice in Southside Virginia primarily, well, Blair, Lunenburg County, me primarily, Charlotte, Mecklenburg, and, and, and Halifax County. Uh, judges are different everywhere. And as, yeah. I, as I indicated earlier, there's not a whole lot of guidance on this. Right. So um, you're going to get some judges that are going to let – not like letting people have their rights back and you're gonna have others that are gonna be freer with it right um i think our judges around here are actually pretty good okay um i think they're a good balance on it so you know yours is a close call yours is one you know if you wanted to wait a few years we'd probably have a better chance but you can always ask again right um so you know i think i think there are waiting periods though you have to wait six months before you can apply again well to be perfectly frank if the judge told you no you need to wait more than six months okay right 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 right. i mean if the judge told you no i'd tell you to wait a couple years okay um especially if it was because it was a serious thing if it's because the paperwork's wrong or something right then let's fix the paperwork we can non-suit it or something so so saying that what what type of paperwork do you need to file to when you want to file? there's a petition um and i think you should i mean we get it we have it here but i imagine you can get it straight from the court and you can fill it out okay there's not a form. This oh, is we, do, we actually do a written. A you're absolutely we right. To do a we write out petition. a written petition just like we do with a lawsuit. You're right. So yeah. a a layperson can come in and they can do this. It's not impossible. What we do is, you know, it's a lot of rules, and that's how we, you know, have created this profession is we keep the rules kind of close to the vest. But see, I didn't even know the rules, so I clearly am not in on that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you do have to fill out a petition. Okay. It's not hard. You have to just make sure you hit a couple of points. But I will say one of the more important things about you having a good chance of getting your rights back is making sure you pick the right attorney. Somebody that has credibility with the court, somebody that comes in and the judges are going to trust and to give them the right lay of the law that the prosecutors are going to be more likely to listen to. And they're not going to be like, well, this person, she does not know what she's doing with her clients. She can't manage them. And she looks like she's so unprepared every time she comes into court. Mm. That's not a lawyer that you want to have. And that's not a lawyer that the prosecutors are going to be like, well, yeah, she's definitely knows like how to gauge a client, whether or not there'll be a risk for them to put what they think is their whole career on. Um, But if you have somebody who's local versus out of town, I know a lot of people think Richmond lawyers, oh my God, my lawyer came from Richmond. No. Local lawyers (laughs) practice in front of these judges. They know they're judges. We are in front of these judges day in and day out, especially in the public defender's office. We see these judges all day long. We know their moods. We know when we can get them paying attention. We know what to put in front of them because we know what they like to hear. Mm. I I, want to interrupt just to say this, just to be clear. Getting your, civil, getting your rights back is a civil issue, so your public defender can't do it for you. So it's not them being a butthole if they tell you they won't. They yeah. can't. So right. they're not allowed to do that. You, if you want a lawyer, you have to you know, get somebody who's a private attorney to do okay. it. Um, but there's a good point there, and I think this is just a good point for lawyers in general. You want somebody who's going to shoot straight with you. Right. You want somebody who's going to be real with you, even if the truth hurts a little bit. Right. You know, Something I literally tell every one of my clients the first time I meet with them, you know, even when they're just deciding if they want to hire me, I literally tell them, I was like, look, I'm always going to be real with you. I'm always shoot straight with you. I'm trying not to be an asshole about it. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to tell you like it is, and I'd rather you be satisfied at the end than happy as a clam right now. Right. Um, that, that's what you want. But it's the same thing with the gun rights thing. Right. Um, quite frankly, if you've got a serious felony and it's not decades old and a lawyer sitting here acting like this is going to be automatic, they probably haven't done it a lot. Mm. Um, I don't think they're pro- – they're probably not lying to you. I don't. I assume they're not. But they're probably – they're probably just not that well-versed in it. Okay. So, you know, you, you got to get your, your ducks in a row. The only reason after five years with your felonies that I would tell you you had a chance is because of all that extra stuff. Right. You know, if you had just been kind of piddling around and we didn't have like some really good character witnesses we could bring, I'd tell you to wait five years. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Blair Trent, and I used to work here at the Trent Law Practice, but now I am a public defender here in Halifax, specifically handling Lunenburg County. As long as I have been a practicing lawyer, it has been paramount in my mind that Everybody who can should get their rights restored. If I can convince you of anything, please consider doing a consult with an attorney, not just Mike, and unfortunately you can't do it with me, but any lawyer, please consider getting your rights restored. If for no other reason than sitting on a jury, yeah, we make jokes about how ridiculous it is to have to serve jury duty and nobody likes it. It is so important to the work that I do that as many people with as many different backgrounds and experiences are sitting in that jury box, please consider getting your rights restored. It matters so much, particularly in small communities like this. And if I can say one other thing, the public defender's offices, what we do, we are just criminal lawyers. I know there's a lot of stigmas, like I said, going around about court-appointed lawyers or public defenders. Public defenders specifically, all we do are criminal cases. We have to have all of the training and experience that prosecutors have, only we're actually dealing with people. We handle clients. We go day in and day out 
just doing criminal cases. Our former boss, Buddy Ward, was the public defender here for 29 years. If you think there is anybody else in this community that knew the judges better than Buddy Ward, you're out of your mind. Buddy was one of the greatest lawyers, not just because he had a long-standing military experience and not just because all he did was criminal cases day in and day out, but he could see something in people. And one of his gifts was being able to show other people, even, even yourself, what he could, what, what you had the potential for. That is a gift that mostly public defenders have because that's all we do day in and day out. We represent people in criminal cases. And our job is to show the court that these are people, these are human beings and not just the crimes that they committed. Hey, we're back. This is Sean A. Barksdale, 10 Minutes of Truth, and we're at the Trent Law Practice. Um, We have been discussing the restoration of rights, and we just want to double back because I had some questions about uh, what I can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it'll get scary for a guy like me or felons that have been in my shoes. Uh, so, like, for instance, we were talking about me being around individuals that may have guns, such as uh, if I was in a religious structure sure. and, and or um, at the police department, something of that nature. How does that play into uh, uh, my life? Well, you know, Sean, I talked about the constructive possession part of it, right. but if a gun is physically on someone... You know, whether it's you're at, you're at your church and there's somebody, you know, because of, you know, the horrible situation, active shooters, there's somebody right. in the back that's got a gun on their on their ankle or on their, on their waist. If it's on them, you're going to be okay. okay. And for what it's worth, you know, it's a good defense if you don't know it's there. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, people sometimes get charged and there's a good defense and that's why people right. like me exist and people like Blair exist. Okay. Um, you know, constructive possession actually only is supposed to apply when you know it's there and you're, you're, you're accepting that and you understand you could exercise control over it any time. Do not be afraid to be around police that have, you know, I mean, there might be other reasons to be afraid, but don't be afraid for this purpose um, about guns, whether they're on police or whether they're on security guards or whether they're just on people that you're out in the community with right. that have a concealed carry. It's it's stickier when you're in the home with them. Mm. And, and it's because people don't sleep with it on their purse and they put it somewhere. Right. It's a much bigger deal if you're residing or even just staying in a place where somebody has guns. Um, what I suggest to people, because sometimes that can't be avoided, Right. What I suggest to people is if somebody in your household owns a firearm, it needs to be in a secure location that you do not have access to. So mm-hmm. in a perfect world, a gun safe. In a less perfect world, um, in, in a less perfect world, a, uh, a lockbox where you don't have a key. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate that this was their gun, you didn't have access to it, you didn't have the ability to exercise control over it. Last thing I'll add, even if we get your, your gun rights back in Virginia, you need to understand from a federal standpoint, it's still against the law. So getting your gun rights back in Virginia doesn't necessarily help you taking a gun to North Carolina or Georgia. Mm, okay. um, so be careful with that. Um, you shouldn't, and that's actually just with concealed carry rules, you yeah. need to make sure you're following the concealed carry rules where you are if you have a concealed carry permit. Um, everything we're talking about is Virginia law. Uh, Blair and me are both just Virginia lawyers. We don't practice anywhere else. Okay. I'll say one other thing. Okay. You also probably want to take very close look at whatever your plea agreement or your conviction order says mm-hmm. that can vary from judge to judge in lunenburg county the standard plea agreements and the standard conviction orders have language in there that exceeds the language of the most statutes where you're just you cannot be in possession of the gun and therefore you can't be in what 
Virginia case law generally says is possession constructive or otherwise. In Lunenburg specifically, they will say you cannot be in proximity of any firearms period. They make a specific exception for law enforcement that are on duty, but that can be construed in other ways. And then maybe you're not talking about a possession of a firearm by a convicted felon charge, but you're talking about a probation violation. You're talking about a good behavior violation, which could still come back on you. Mm. All of those things can come back on you, and then you are facing a situation that you can't get it fixed at that point. Once you have a charge against you involving a gun, you come to talk to Mike or another lawyer about the possibility of getting your rights restored, they're going to tell you real, real sorry. You got to get this straight first. If you mm. don't have that straight, there's nothing you can do at that point, yeah. and you're already facing down, pardon the pun, barrel of a gun. Wow. Well, on the plea agreement side, Sean, let me add this. Some jurisdictions also, when you enter a plea agreement, which is something you agree to, like they can't impose it on you, but some jurisdictions add in there that you will not petition a court for your gun rights back for a certain period of time. Okay. Um, Mecklenburg County does that. In almost every single one, okay. um, and they started doing it when it became easier to get get their gun rights back. Uh, to this point, I haven't seen Halifax do that. I haven't seen Charlotte do that. Lunenburg does it. Lunenburg does that. Um, so that's not to say not that's not to be defeatist, right. but um, particularly if you have a more recent um, felony, and I'm I'm, I'm thinking like post 2018 probably. If you have a more recent one. Uh, I would get a copy of my plea agreement when I go see the lawyer to talk about getting my, my gun rights back because the lawyers mm -hmm. need to look at that. What about uh, references? Mm -hmm. uh, what type of references would I need? Well, I'm going to defend myself a little bit because Mike said that he has less faith in prosecutors than I do. I actually had a specific reason for thinking that you specifically wouldn't be too tough of a sell to a prosecutor, and that's because you have those references built in. It would not be hard. Even if the prosecutor says, absolutely not, I'm not going to do it, I'm like, that's fine. We're going to bring in all these witnesses. I just want you to understand I'm going to do all of this stuff. I got them wrapped around the corner. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I know you do. You've also put yourself out there in the community right. in a way trying to do things that the judges are going to sit up and take notice of because they're not going to see it every day. Right. So if you can get references, people in the community that can say you have really changed your behavior, you've right. changed your attitude. I think in your case, your felonies are really old. Part of that's because you were away for so long. Right. But you could also bring in people from the prison system to be able to say how you did in the prison system if oh, you wow. were like a model um, I didn't think prisoner. Of that. You I could didn't think bring of that. something that way if you were in there You gotta get them to come. For, yeah, you gotta get them to come. Yeah, yeah. But okay. if you were in there for say ten years and you were a model prisoner that right. you were doing all the things, you were trying to mentor young people to get them right. out to keep them from when they go back out coming back in. If you're doing those things, that's information the judge is gonna want to consider when you say, hey, I have this business, I want to be able to continue it on, I wanna make sure I don't get into this trouble again. And most judges, particularly around here, most judges are gonna see that and they're gonna understand why you don't wanna have that risk. Right, right. Uh, thank you again. Uh, so, like I said, my situation is a little different because of who I am and what I'm doing. So let's just take the, I want to say I'm extraordinary, but an ordinary individual, like you say, he's he hasn't gotten any trouble. He's nonviolent, but he's really, you know, held a couple of jobs that, you know, it's just life. Right. Hasn't gotten any trouble or anything, but he wants to come back and get his or her rights back. You know, every case is different, Sean, but okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say as a general rule, I mean, you know, you've got somebody who's 
you know, maybe not done all the things you've done, mm. but, you know, had, had, had a job or whatnot and, and had nonviolent felonies maybe, you know, five, ten years ago or whatever. Um, as a general rule, I think unless there's some other thing going on, we'll probably be able to get them their rights back. Okay. I mean, every case is different. You can never guarantee an outcome. But, you know, if it was nonviolent and some years have passed and they've been semi-productive and they have – any sort of good reason, um, which I mean, I personally think, and this is my views on things. I personally think just wanting to have my constitutional rights back is good enough reason. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. But, absolutely. But knowing what I know, I still like to go in there with a different reason. If, if I'm the judge, that would probably be a good enough reason. But you know, yeah, I just think it's always good to to you know have your your eyes dotted and your t's crossed. But as a general rule, I think if it's been a number of years and you've been doing what you're supposed to be doing, um, I, I, and it's a grand larceny or, or even like a drug charge or something okay. like that. Um, those are the ones the prosecutors sometimes sign off on. Okay. So, you know, it, it, it's every case is different. Okay. You know, I, I don't know about every lawyer. We do free consults on stuff like this. I would think most lawyers would, I, I don't know, but I would think I'm not the only right. one that does free consults. So if you got a question, um, go see go see an attorney and uh, and just go over everything with them. Okay. Um, doubling back a little bit about uh, the client you had, wanted to get married mm-hmm. and uh, – his wife, so on and so forth, carries, right? Uh, so say you're in the home, okay? You Say you come home, mm-hmm. all right, uh, or you're off probation, and there's a gun. I know you said it has to be locked, okay? What if- It helps. If it's it, it helps, all right. Yeah. So say there's a particular day, it's it just it's not locked, okay? And domestic dispute is in the home, police come. Okay, and they find the gun. You're there, the felon. What happens if the individual says, "Okay, this is my gun. I want to take possession of this gun." Could they do that? And uh, no, they no. couldn't do that. Well, I mean, both could be. You can both be in. Like I said, with the pen, all three of us were in right. possession of the pen. Okay. Um, there. It depends on the overall facts and circumstances. I mean, if you didn't know where it was okay. because they put it in a specific place and you could convince a judge or a jury of that, okay. then I think you're not guilty. Uh, but the cops certainly could arrest you for it. I mean, like, you know, we're kind of talking about two different things. We're talking right. about are you going to you, have legal issues with the police on the first end versus, like, do I have a good defense as a criminal defense attorney if you're okay. charged? Um, if you knew where it was and it wasn't secured and it's in your home, that's going to be a real tough case for me to win. Uh, I mean, would you agree, Blair? I absolutely agree. And one of the, the reason I said no initially is because I think that unless you luck out and you get one of the very reasonable police officers who will understand and be able to separate the two situations, the domestic from the gun being in the home with someone who has a conviction for a, has a felony conviction, I think that more than likely that police officer is going to be immediately asking you for your ID so that they can run your record. And the minute that they see that you have a felony conviction and that there's a gun just out in the open or that there's a gun in the house, period, Mm. or say that domestic dispute is still ongoing and your girlfriend knows that you have a felony conviction, not supposed to be around that gun, and all of a sudden she's mad as hell and she says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, there's a gun in this house and he's a felon. That happens mm. much more than you think it would. Really? That happens and, a lot. Really? And I used girlfriend and it could be boyfriend. boyfriend, but I, inter- I've seen it reversed too. Um, in that mm-hmm. situation, the police, God love them, they do a really difficult job, but every problem is a, every problem, they're a hammer and every problem is a nail. So I think right. they're going to arrest you. And I think at that point, you are in trouble. Okay. And unless you have 
a lawyer who really knows what they're doing in a jurisdiction that is not heavily enforcing these. Right. And I'm not saying heavily enforcing the law, but can be a little bit more understanding. Basically, they have to really like their Second Amendments. Right. If you have a prosecutor that likes their Second Amendments, they're going to be a little bit more lenient. But I've also seen prosecutors that say 100%. So, I'm big through yeah. Second moving Amendment. Back, yeah. me, moving back to what you said, more than likely. All right. Uh, for instance, you. so you've seen where, say, a female, she gets upset. She says, there's a gun in the house, mm-hmm. right? And have you ever seen them try to come to court and say, well, no, sure, I was... Sure, absolutely. What happens in those cases? I mean, well, first off, this is just... And you probably get this, Sean. I imagine a lot of people watch and get this. What? The worst thing you say is what they're going to believe. So if you say something real bad about yourself or somebody else on the front end, and then you try to backtrack it, at that they're going to believe the front end. Well, they're going to assume that you've had time to think about oh, it. Okay, right. And you and you love your fellow, or you love your lady, and you're and you're trying hmm. to you're trying to protect them. Now, it depends what they said, right? You know, if they just said there's a gun in the house and he's a felon. That's pretty limited. Um, if they then come to the court and say, "Yeah, there was a gun in the house. I was mad. I was, you know, it was my fault. The gun was in a lockbox, or I, I, my, my husband thought it was in a lockbox, and I was just trying to get him in trouble." Like, depending on the facts and circumstances, okay. like it all, it's always good as a defense attorney for somebody to backtrack. Okay. I'm just telling you, as a general rule, they're going to believe the worst thing you said. Mm. So be careful. Don't talk to the cops. Okay. Yeah, that's the biggest takeaway from that. And, and, and let me talk to the police. And I, I'm doing a tangent here, but I, right. I, I will say this: I'm, I'm not I'm not an anti-police guy. I'm on the town council in the town of Halifax. I have a I work with the police. I'm very supportive of the police. We have a lot of great policemen, but they have a job to do, and their job is to get information to get people charged that can lead to convictions. Um, there's a reason you have a right to remain silent. There's a reason you have a right. To consult with an attorney before you talk to the police. I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions to the rule where I, there, there are times I sit in this room with my clients and we talk to the police. It happens relatively often, but it's when I've organized it, it's when I've talked to my clients, it's when I know what the police are looking for, and if they start going too far afield, we're ending it and they're leaving my office. Mm. So, you know, I cannot tell you the percentage of people that I've represented over the 11 years I've done criminal defense that wouldn't have been convicted, that got convicted because they made statements that convicted themselves. Mm. I've had it on big cases. I've had it on little cases. Um, and you can believe everything I just said, not be anti-police. Yeah, be polite with the police. Don't, don't, don't be a butthole for no reason. I'm not saying that. Um, but respectfully say I, I'd prefer not to, tr- not to talk without speaking to an attorney first. Um, I know te- it sounds like that's something you have to say on te- television. I'm just telling you, I, I, this is what I do for a living. And the percentage, it's an obnoxious percentage of people that get convicted that a big part of the reason they got convicted is because of statements they made. And mm. they, they think they're being clever, they think they're being smart. Sometimes it's they think they're innocent. And they think, well, I can just explain this. But as Blair said earlier, she pointed out ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Sometimes there's something that you did that was legal you don't even know. Right. Um, and other times, you know, it comes out the wrong way and then you're dealing with it. And the, here's the thing, you have that constitutional right. It's not a knock on the police. I'm not saying that to be anti-police at all. You have that right that is protected in the Constitution. And people have rights, not companies, not the law enforcement agencies, not the prosecution. People have rights. They have privilege. You have rights. And you need to exercise those rights. And you also need to know you are not the exception. Please hear me when I say, no matter how smart you think you are, 
or how innocent you may be in that situation. When the police ask to see your ID, they are not asking to see your ID because they just want to make sure you can drive. They want to be able to run your record. They want to see if you've ever done anything wrong. They want to see if you have a concealed carry permit. They want to see if you have had a protective order in the past. Mm. They are looking for all of this information, and it does not hurt you to just stay quiet, but it could hurt you if you open your mouth. I, I want to add something real quick. Um, if you get pulled over, you do have to provide your driver's license and you do have to identify yourself. You, you don't need to answer questions, like substantive questions, but you do you are required to answer to identify yourself. I don't you okay. get in trouble with the you get arrested when you don't need to get arrested if you don't, but you don't have to answer substantive questions. Exactly. Okay. So uh, I have been in all types of situations. So say you're in a vehicle, okay? Mm-hmm. It's four people in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's a gun under the seat. Okay. Which seat? Okay. So the gun is under the passenger seat. Okay. All right. And no one is going to say anything in the vehicle. Who does it belong to? Um. Well. Person closest? Here's the deal. They got to prove. I mean, I'm talking about a trial now. So okay, like, I, yeah. I, 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 I can't really. I mean, different cops are going to do different things. There. Okay. Some cops aren't going to arrest anybody. Okay. Really? I mean, it, it never happened yeah. to me. Well. <laughs> um, yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah I hear you. I, I, Let me tell you something. You're not the right skin. Color. Right, right. Well, <laughs> that's maybe, what that maybe, is. Maybe. Right. You well, don't have the right well, complexion. Well, for that I, I, right. That's true. I'm, that's true. I'm jumping ahead. Right. Um, to like, if you're talking about a trial. Right. If I'm representing somebody that's in the back seat in that case and they don't own the car, okay. then they probably actually didn't get charged. I don't care what your skin color is. Right. Uh, because they, there's no nothing they can actually impute to you there. It's mm. not you're not the person in the closest proximity. You said you didn't say anything, so you didn't make any statements, and you don't own the car. Okay. Um I think the person in the most trouble is in the passenger seat. Mm. That's the person I think the person who's in the most trouble is whoever owns the vehicle. It depends. Mm. Um if, if the if the owner's in the passenger seat, they're getting charged and they're in real trouble. Oh wow. Um if the owner's driving the car they If they're not supposed to have it. If they're not supposed to have it. Yeah, okay. yeah, obviously, right. you know. Right. Um, but of course if you don't have a concealed carry and you've got it under the seat of the car, that's concealment, you're gonna get charged with yep. uh, with with concealing a weapon unlawfully. Um so, you know, if you're in the back seat and you don't own the car, you're probably fine. If you're driving and you don't own the car, you're probably fine. The people in the most trouble are going to be the person in the seat that it's under and the, and the owner of the car if they're in the car. Okay. What, what, thank you for that. Uh, I needed to know that 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly, so, um, scenario wise, uh, because I, the reason I'm, I'm just throwing scenarios like, because they happen. Yeah. All these scenarios, every I, I, like every day, these scenarios. And some people just, don't survive them. No, they don't survive them at all. First and foremost, we want to say, if you've been convicted of a felony, don't be around a gun. All right. Absolutely. Don't Absolutely. don't be around a gun. And and if there's any takeaways that anybody has heard, um, please come to the Trent Law Firm because they seem very real. Right from the interactions that I've had with these guys, they're genuine, and that's why we're sitting with them. We could have sit with any other lawyers, but we wanted to sit with them because they're genuine and what they are presenting to us. And I thank you guys for that. Well, thanks, um, for, thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I want to, I want to say this before we move on, or we do anything. Uh, Ten minutes of truth. This platform is being built for this. 
these type of moments, these type of conversations, because I didn't I didn't have anything to go to in my youth to hear anything like this. By the time that I heard any of these things, I was already in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Sure. Very ignorant of what's going on, how it's going on, and I just get trapped up, right? Absolutely. So I, I, we really appreciate this. And also, uh, we, we want, you know, uh, whether it's a judge that's listening or whether it's someone that may be in a circumstance where they have to go to court to deal with a situation like this, or one of the things that I really wanted to do was there are people in our community that say, you should never have your rights back. Not a civil right or a gun right. Sure. You know, and, and we know this. Yeah. Um, and that's just the reality. But, you know, I, and I'm sorry, Sean, to interrupt, but something I have noticed a lot over the years is folks say that until it hits anywhere close to home. Right. Um, I, I'm not going to say any names, but I've, right. dealt, I, I've dealt with one, one of the hardest-ass cops I've ever met uh, who didn't think anybody deserved a break on anything. Mm. Then it, I don't remember if it was his nephew or what, but got charged, and he just he couldn't understand why they were being so, so tough. Right, right. Um, and, you know, right. That's that's just the reality of it. Right. So, I find I mean I read the comment sessions on the uh, on the internet, you know, the newspaper too, and and I don't, I just find that there's a lot of people out there that that don't think about it very thoroughly and don't right. think it through. And I think most people, I think most people are of good faith and actually put some thought into it. Think you ought to be able to get your rights back. Right. And I don't disagree that there, there's this reflexive right. reaction against right. it. Right. And I, and I, for me. Um, just paperwork or if you really you know walking to a courtroom you get to know an individual that's why i know a lot of great men and women that have come out of prison man mm-hmm. that are doing way more than me right that have done way more than me and i just deserve that right back sure yeah. i deserve it back because i'm showing that i deserve it back right it's not a fence straddling thing for me or you know it's no one that i know of that that if if you look at the paperwork that's going to say Oh, as soon as he get the gun, he's going to go blip the blur, right? Right. You understand what I'm saying? So this is why the conversation is is direly important in the community. We're back. This is Sean A. Barksdale, and this is 10 Minutes of Truth, and we're at the Trent Law Practice, and we've been having a very distinct conversation about rights, restoration. Um, We want to paint a very vivid scene really quick that may happen, that that has happened. Individual... Uh, let's just take me have came home doing great in the community and I get jammed up Um, say I'm riding with a cousin or or whatever happens and now I go in front of a judge and I have to do a mandatory five years Uh, I'll let you start Blair with what 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 does what does that look like for an individual like me? So first off, if you're talking about someone like you that has a, a robbery and they're staring at the mandatory five, right. when you get arrested, the chances of you getting a bond are slim mm. because one of the things that prosecutors and magistrates and judges are going to look at is how much time you are facing as a factor of will you or won't you show up to court. Mm. So they're going to you're going to have a presumption against bond, although that's changing. That's one of the things that's changing come July 1st. Okay. You'll have, for the next month and month or so, a presumption against bond. And then after July 1st, you're going to be facing a really high secured bond. So you're going to need that 10% or more for a bondsman. And your family is going to be the ones probably having to pull that out. 
chances are if it takes a while for you to get a bond hearing, you're probably going to lose your job. Mm. It's going to take you a while if you don't have a ton of resources to get your lawyer, depending on whether or not you have a public defender's office, a court-appointed lawyer, or whether or not your family has hopefully the resources to go out and hire an attorney if you feel like that's what you need to do. I'm going to put a little plug in from the public defender's office. We are just criminal lawyers. So I know there's a lot of thoughts and preconceived notions about public defenders, but all we do is criminal law. So, and all we do all day long is be in front of our judges. We know them very well. We know what they want to hear in a bond hearing that's going to make them say, oh, this is a person that should get a bond. Mm. This person has a job, a consistent job for the last 14 years. This person has um, strong ties to this community. This person has been here for a very long time. This person has strong family situation here and has never lived anywhere else. That person more than likely is going to be looking at the potential for getting a bond. If you are looking at a court appointed lawyer because you don't have a public defender's office in your area, um, hopefully that person has passed all of their qualifications and knows what they're doing. And here's the thing. Lawyers are a little bit, we, well, technically we are counselors. We're called counselors. If you like your lawyer and you trust them, they're gonna, you're going to believe their advice. If you think that they're prepared, you're going to trust them. So if you don't like your lawyer, you can go out and hire a different one. But you are not allowed to just willy-nilly change your court-appointed lawyer. Mm. So that can be more difficult if you are indigent. That can be more difficult if you don't have the resources to go and do those things. And quite frankly, it's probably more important for you to get out so your family's going to want to spend the money on the bond. But you're also going to be facing mandatory time. And there's no discretion there. There's no options. It's two years for nonviolent, five years for the violent. Day um, for day. day f- and Under current law. Under current law, yes. Now It, it could change. It could change. Neither of those I can't remember. The list is so long. Oh, no. So much is changing right. on July 1st. Um, no, this isn't, I'll jump in just so it's been said. Um, this hasn't changed yet, but um, the mandatory time. The, both houses of the legislature in the last session passed bills to get rid of mandatory time. Hmm. One passed a bill to get rid of all the mandatory time, everything in the code. The other one had exceptions. Um, I don't believe the gun charges were exceptions. Uh, so and, the, and drug charges weren't exceptions. They couldn't agree on how to make those two bills the same. I would expect, depending on you know what happens in November, it's possible next year they'll make a deal and some of these mandatory times will go away. Maybe the gun charge is part of it. It might not be though. I mean, it's kind of weird politics, right, with with with, with gun charges because you know one side might be inclined to be a little more criminal justice reform oriented, but that side also might be a little more anti-gun. So I mean, you know, you can never predict what happens until it happens. But under current law, it's day for day mandatory. Okay. I can't remember whether or not the possession of firearm charges qualify for the new good time calculations that go into effect in January 1st of 2022. I think they do, but I'm not 100% sure. So if we can ever get back to that, somebody come and ask me or Mike and we'll let you know. I think it does. But you're, you're staring down, and if you're arrested at that time, you've got to do a preliminary hearing, and then you have to go to grand jury, and then you have a circuit court. And quite frankly, the minute they put the bracelets on you, you're kind of cooked. At that point, you are you can't go through the process of getting your rights restored to say, look, I, I should have already done this. It's my bad, but it's too little too late at that point. Mm. So you are caught in between a rock and a hard place, and you might end up staying in prison or staying in jail pending trial, but hopefully you can get out and then you're working with your lawyer, and hopefully you've done a lot of the things to be able to say, 
hey, prosecutors, the legislature, when they made these rules, they made them very arbitrarily. This person deserves an exception. And at that point, like Mike said earlier, it's begging. Mm-hmm. We are begging prosecutors to consider the person. And that's part of what our job is. They see a file. Our job is to make them see the person, to see the human being mm-hmm. behind that crime. Right, right. And that, that's important. And, and, and to you, Mike, uh, what type of funds have you seen a family that had to deal with a situation like this use? Such as, um, you know, going through that process that, that Blair like just talked about. And for yeah, for, yeah, yeah that. like what type of, if a person has to go through this, they get caught up. What type of, you know, just a, a ballpark figure of, of, that they would have to. You know, it, it, and I, I'm going to get in trouble because I, I'm saying the, the lawyer answer, it depends. Uh, but if you get a, bond, a secured bond on one of these gun charges okay. that carry mandatory time, I would expect it to be at least $10,000 secured. Mm. Maybe, maybe, depending on, you know, if you got some special, if you got something going on, maybe five. But, you know, generally the way judges think, in my experience, is the first question is, are they, should I give them a bond at all? And if the, if the answer is yes, because of the facts and circumstances where they live and their, you know, their history and all that stuff, uh, employment history is really important, as Blair mentioned. Uh, the, the next question is, how big should it be? And if it's the sort of charge they normally wouldn't give a bond for, and quite frankly, these mandatory time gun charges are the sort of charges that they wouldn't normally give a bond for. If it's those, then they're generally going to be a really high bond. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. This is a different sort of case, but just to give you an idea, um, I had a mandatory life case that there's clearly a presumption against bond on because if he was convicted as charged, mandatory, mandatory life. Mandatory life. If he was convicted, he doesn't go to jail tip, for the rest. Right. They need to hear <laughs> that. Right, sorry. They definitely um, need to hear that. It's a completely different sort of case. Uh, but but this, this was a, a sex case. Oh, and, wow. if, and if he was convicted, it would have been a mandatory life. He'd had to serve every single day of the rest of his life in wow. prison. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Virginia, unlike some states, some states have certain charges that you can't get a bond on. I know, I think first-degree murder in Florida, you can't get a bond. Maybe it's capital murder, but there's a murder in Florida you can't get a bond on. Virginia doesn't have that. Virginia, as of now, has presumptions against bond and factors to look at. And, you know, I, I always tell all my clients, I don't care if you're charged with first-degree murder, a sex case, or something little, we'll try and get you a bond. I'm going to be up, up front about how likely I think it is, but we're going we'll give it a go. Well, I had one. I got a bond on it. I mean, and quite frankly, I think I should have gotten a bond on it. But a lot of people were surprised we got a bond on it because you just don't get you don't get bonds on mandatory life. There was a lot of factors that worked for us. I mean, you know, he didn't have a bad record, and you know, he he had long employment, long ties to the community, checked all the boxes. But it was a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so I beat that first jump of mandatory. Are we going to give him a bond at all? And most people don't clear that. And then it's then it was a hundred thousand dollars. Now, part of the reason it was so high was because. The family and friends thought with equipment and, and, and property, they'd be able to clear it. We ended up getting lowered later when we couldn't clear it. But, mm-hmm. you know, those are going to be bigger bonds. Um, if I can answer it a little broader, though, Sean, and if you've been through this system yourself or certainly a family member, you know more about this than, than, than I do and what I'm going to say. But particularly to people that haven't experienced this personally, this is just when, when, when a loved one is charged with a crime, especially if they're looking at prison. This is a traumatic, life-changing, hold-you-in-your-spot trauma. Absolutely. I know I said traumatic and trauma, but it, it's, just a, it's, just a, it's just a horrible situation. Um, I had to go to a jail earlier this week, and normally when I go to a jail to meet with a client or a potential client, 
it's at a completely different time than visiting hours for for families. Right. I don't maybe it was because they knew I was going to talk to you this today this week. But I went to a jail on I think it was on Wednesday, and I had visiting hours going on right here, and I'm in the little booth right here, and I'm listening to kids talking to their daddies and loved ones mm-hmm. and mothers, and you know talking to their children. Right, and um, it is it is just a horrible situation, and and it affects everybody. So I, I want to echo what you said. We can all have our opinions on what the laws ought to be with guns, and we want to get people's rights back if we can. But please be careful, because you know somebody like me or somebody like Blair, we're going to do absolutely everything we possibly can if you get charged. But as everybody's mentioned, we don't have a lot of leverage in a lot of these cases. Right. Sometimes we do. Sometimes it's sometimes you're the passenger in a car you don't know, and right. they find it underneath that. And at that point, if they're not going to, you know, if they're, you know, I'm going to tell somebody to take that to a jury unless they're going to, you know, agree to something to get you out of jail. I mean, right. so. You know, every case is different, but in a lot of these cases, they're very strong cases because they don't have to prove much. Right. They just have to prove you're a felon, which is usually pretty easy to prove, and they have to prove that you were in possession of a gun. And that can be really easy if it's, you know, in your pocket, or it can be, you know, kind of hard if it's constructive possession, depending on where it is. Right. So, you know, don't take it very seriously. Get your gun rights back. Get your civil rights back. It's important. And, uh, and everybody out there that's not experiencing, keep keep families in mind that are going through this. And it, it, it can be very, very difficult. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, anything that you guys would like to add to the community and just knowing? Because honestly, these type of conversations um, and like me and Blair, we're, we're definitely going to have to come back because, you know, as we were talking about as far as laws and laws changing and, and always being updated. Um, so, like I said, this is what the platform is really being built for and designed for. Um, like I said, once again, uh, thank you guys so much uh, because we, you know, it's a lot to digest. But the great things about podcasts is it's forever. So you can go back and watch and watch and listen and listen and listen over and over again. Um, how long have you been practicing law? So I I don't want to tell you age, but no, you know. <laughs> uh, I graduated from law school in 2010, okay. and I passed the bar in 2010. Okay, but I had something called a third year practice certificate, okay. which allowed me to practice law under a licensed attorney. Um, and I had an internship at the prosecutor's office that I had my first job at. So before I even passed the bar exam and got licensed as a lawyer, I had done two jury trials supervised by another lawyer but i had done two jury trials and i had probably prosecuted somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 misdemeanors or more wow um just doing doing misdemeanors in in portsmouth um so i tend to go a little bit before because i count so much of that um passed the bar in 2010 2021 technically it's 11 years i think it's probably closer to 13. Okay. Okay, and you? Uh, I don't have that 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 august prosecutorial experience. That she right, does. right. <laughs> but um, but I passed the bar in 2010, and okay. um, and, and graduated from law school in 2010. And actually, we did we didn't know each other, but we sat four seats apart from each other taking the bar exam. Really? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Maiden name right. is Toner. Yeah, yeah, so Tone, we or Trent. We were, we were oh, wow. right there together. In this room, wow. Big yeah. Old room. Um, wow. So yeah, I, I, eleven years. Uh, if, I'll defend my experience a little bit more. I, I've only ever done. Well, I've always done criminal defense. I do a lot of other things now in addition to it. But I did four years at the public defender's office. I did intern at the public defender's office before that. Okay. But um, but I didn't. They 
they weren't comfortable having interns do the cases because you're actually representing a person and not just, you know, prosecuting. Um, not that sound like I'm digging on prosecutors, but it, it is different when you're representing a human being and you're protecting right. their liberty. Um, and I did four years of that, and I've been here since the very beginning of 2015. Okay. Okay. Thank you guys uh, for your service in the community. Um, hopefully, I'm, I already know people are going to be reaching out. People are going to be asking, and they're, you know, and, and we'll definitely reach back out to you guys because there are going to be different questions that, that, that come about and uh, different conversations that will have to come about um, from this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sean A. Boxdale, and this has been 10 Minutes of Truth. Thank you guys for listening. A teacher, a principal, and Mid-Atlantic Broadband and Microsoft, we want to tell you some very important upcoming episodes on how these individuals and this technology is connecting in the community. This is Sean Boxdale. This is 10 Minutes of Truth. Forget about what somebody else think about you. What do you think about you? Your past don't define you.